Oh, man, it's great to be with you guys. You guys look wonderful. I'm, I'm very excited to be able to speak to you today. It's a great privilege. And, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak today from, the, from the, um, the book of Zechariah, specifically chapter 8. And we're actually going to read the whole chapter today. But um, Zechariah chapter 8, if you want to start turning there. And my, my title is this, Living Towards the Future Hope. Living Towards the Future Hope. And we're going to talk about what that meant for Zechariah and what that means for us today. And we're going to follow that. Actually, we're going to follow this theme from, uh, from the beginning of Scripture to the end. So it's going to be a great, it's great intense um, uh, study here from the beginning to the end, but living towards the future hope, right? And, and thinking about this, I, I was thinking about ideas of hope, right? I was thinking about ideas of hope. And I was thinking about voyagers that we've learned maybe in history class, right? Some of them, uh, Marco Polo, uh, Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea, uh, Amerigo Vespucci. I was thinking about modern Neil Armstrong who traveled to the moon or even um, people in our own day who are searching for a, a home and refuge, uh, refugees. They're searching, they're on a voyage, they're looking um, for a place of peace, right? I was thinking even of my, my great-grandfather and his family. They, they were poor farmers in Italy and Sicily and, and they came in the 20s, they came to America looking for um, looking for a better life, right? And, and you probably have stories like that as well of your own family members, maybe your father, your mother, maybe yourself, maybe your grandparents or your great-parents, great-grandparents. But there's, there's people in our lives that we even know who were searching for, for something new. And I was thinking, what, what, is, what is this hope? What is this voyage that we're going to talk about? And, and I was thinking, people, when they're going to a new place or they're changing their whole life or when they're in search of something um, new, what, what they're looking for is a, a, is a better future than the past they're coming from, right? They're, they're looking for uh, something that will answer the, the, the call in their life or something that will answer the, the hope in their heart, right? They're looking, they're looking for that, that image, that, that idea in their mind to be actualized, right? That, that there is a place where they will find the peace maybe or the financial stability or, or the, for the, the family ties or, or whatever it might be. There's, where we have images of, in our mind of hope, of where we wanna be, of where we're going. And the same is true with scripture. There's an idea within scripture of hope, an idea of, of a place of peace, of a state of peace. In the scripture, the, the entire narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is following this idea of hope, this idea of getting to that place where it is desired. And, and that idea that we see is the relational bond between us and God, the perfected relationship between me, you, and him, right? That's, that's what we're searching for. That's what the scriptures are searching for. That's what the narrative is leading towards, right? And so... That's what we're going to talk about today, specifically Zechariah's view and his placement in the story, and then ours as well. And I'm going to be talking about the relationship between us and God, and a term used to define our relationship with God that we see very much in Scripture is this, the idea of covenant, right? And we hear about covenant today usually um, in, in, a, uh, in marriage, right? In marriage, it's a covenant. Right? And a covenant, we use that term for marriage because it's not just between a wife and a husband, but it's also God is in the midst of that, right? And so an idea here for covenant, kind of a, a small definition is it's a relational bond of obligation with blessings and curses with God in the midst, right? 
And so we see this, that there is a relationship in covenant between two parties, and there's obligations on these two parties. And if they follow through, there's blessing, and if they don't, there's cursing, right? It's a very simple concept that was very common in the ancient Near East. There was covenants, right? And even today, there, we have covenants. Whether we say them or not, there's covenants. There's, there is an implicit or explicit um, obligation between you and somebody else when there's a relationship. But God made these specific covenants with the people of Israel, and they, they transition as well to us today. And that's what we're going to be looking at is this idea of covenant throughout Scripture. And even, I mean, we can start from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. There was an idea of covenant. We don't see the word covenant, but we see this, that God gave instructions for Adam and Eve. And if they followed through, there would be blessing in the garden. And if they did not follow through, there would be cursing by being taken out of the garden. And so when they did not follow God's instructions for the tree, what they really were doing was showing their distrust of God. And it brought them out of the garden, right? There was a brokenness in the covenant. There was a brokenness in the obligations. And so now, God, we see this, that he's going to want to desire to really bring people back into that garden experience. Maybe not the garden itself, but he wants to bring them back to his special, unique, personal presence, right? That's the goal. And so now, God, he's going to, over hundreds of years, thousands of years, he's going to choose a man named Abraham, right? Now, Abraham's living 4,000 years ago, and he is living in the ancient Near East, and he's just a random guy, right? He's just this regular, everyday guy. But God says, I'm going to choose you, Abraham, right? And so this is where a big part of the narrative in the story begins, right? And we see this in, in Genesis chapter 12, and it'll follow all the way to the end with this, with Abraham and his family line. And so Abraham is this guy, and God says, Abraham, I'm choosing you, and I want you to be my people. I want to be your God, Abraham, right? And so what Abraham does is God makes him a promise that his, his, his family line, he's going to have many descendants. And then his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars, basically saying you're going to, there's going to be nations that come out of you, Abraham. And that this nation, that they're going to have a land, right? This is a second promise in, to Abraham. And then this nation with the land is going to be a blessing to the whole world, Right? And this sets up kind of the guidelines for the rest of the, of the storyline. And so now we see that Abraham has this promise from God that he's going to have many descendants that will become a nation. They will get a land, and they somehow will be a blessing to the whole world. Right? And so now we see this, that Abraham's family line continues and continues and continues. And we're going to go about a little over 400 years after Abraham, we get to Moses. And now Abraham's descendants have become a great nation. The problem is this, they don't have a land, they're enslaved by the Egyptians, they're in bondage, they're, they're prisoners in this land, they're, they're forced to, to do labor, right? They, they're forced to build cities for these people. And God says, I've made you a nation, now it's time to give you a land. And so Moses hears from God in a special way, and now Moses is gonna receive the covenant. He's gonna receive covenant guidelines, instructions from God. And these instructions are going to be how to live as this nation in this new land. And then one day, through these instructions, they're going to bless the whole world. But now Moses is taking these people to the promised land. And he's using these instructions on how to guide them for covenant obedience so that they could experience the blessings of God, right? And if you want to look at those blessings, look at Leviticus 26. It's amazing. The different, it's so specific. And so God brings them through, right? They get into the promised land. And then now thousands of years 
actually about a thousand years go by, and, and, Abra- and now they have kings, and now these kings have sons, and they have sons, and so there's a line of kings, but the problem is this, that they didn't, the people of Israel at that time, they didn't follow the covenant, right? In covenant, I said, there's um, obligations, and when you follow them, there's blessings. When you don't, there's curses. But the people, they, they continually break the covenant. They don't love their neighbor as themselves. They don't love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, strength. They don't, they don't care for the sojourner. They don't, all of these different laws, they continually break them over and over and over again. And so God cannot give them the blessing. He has to give them the curse. And so now this nation who, is, who has come from the line of Abraham is brought into exile, right? And God uses these other superpowers of, the, of that time, uh, Assyria and Babylon, and they go and they become prisoners in this land, exiles for 70 years. And their nation, their homeland is destroyed, right? And they're brought in and they lament. There's actually a book called The Book of Lamentations, and that's just them lamenting their, their exile, right? And so within this history of Israel, there's this two-part phrase that we see, and it's this. It's usually God speaking to the people, and he says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And then even in the book of Exodus, we see this third part come to it, and it says, I will dwell in your midst. And so there's this promise that we see, which is directly tied to the covenant. And with Abraham, God had made this covenant, which was totally dependent on him. No matter what the people did, God was going to commit to being their God. But with Moses, he, he expands the covenant and says, but you, if you do this, you will be blessed. But if you don't, you'll be cursed. And so there's this new phase with, with Moses, in the Exodus. And this is what continues all the way to the kings. And so now, here are these people. They've been exiled because they've broken God's covenant. They've broken, they've, they've ignored the obligations. They've ignored God's commands, which really, I mean, are great principles to live by, most of them. Today, they don't all translate, but most of them translate, especially the moral law, right? And so now, they're in exile, and they're lamenting. They're waiting. God, where is your presence Lord, you promised Abraham we would be a great nation, we'd be a great people, and we would bless the entire world. But here we are, prisoners, slaves in Babylon. But God begins to speak through the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And we start to hear this phrase again. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And then we see this, that promises are included in that that they will one day be brought back to the land. And, and, and that sin and all the, the covenant breaking, they will be forgiven. And that this land will be prosperous and, and that they would have a land of peace. They would have a land of hope. They would have, they would have a, a time with no more enemies, no more wars. This is what Ezekiel and Jeremiah are talking about. 600 years, 500 years before Jesus is even born, they're waiting for this time, waiting for the day that God will, will give the blessing but the problem is they keep breaking the covenant. And so Moses, I mean, uh, Jeremiah, he starts seeing this, that God tells him, I'm going to give these new covenant people, I'm going to give them a new heart. And on their heart, the Torah, the, the instructions of God, all of the covenant obligations, all of the instructions on how to live, I'm going to write it on their heart, basically saying this, one day they will follow the covenant. And not only that, but I will forgive all of the brokenness that they've caused. I will forgive every time they broke the covenant. 
That's what Jeremiah is saying. And so now they have this image in exile. One day God is going to restore Israel. One day God is going to restore our people. One day we're going to go back to our land and we're going to experience the blessings that God promised. And he's going to bypass and overrule our brokenness and and he's going to overrule all of our, all the times that we messed up. And so God, using the superpower at Persia of that time, he brings them back out of exile and he brings them to the promised land. And now you're thinking, here are all the blessings are going to come. Right, The land is going to be bountiful. They're going to have all kinds of beautiful crops. There's going to be no more wars. They're going to have giant walls to protect their city. I mean, now here comes the blessing. But they come back to their land, and they see that it's in ruins. The temple where they worshiped God and God met with them has been destroyed, leveled. They burned it. There's nothing left. They stole all of, they stole the Ark of the Covenant. They stole everything. Everything's gone. They, they go to the walls, which used to protect them from all of the different enemies. They're leveled. The rocks are displayed over the fields. They go back to where their grandparents lived in the houses, and it's gone. It's down. It's dust. They come back to their land, and they realize that there's a lot of work to be done. And that God is now going to need them to restore the kingdom by rebuilding it. And that they're, they're now going to have to become these new covenant people, following it, following these obligations. And so they start to try to rebuild the temple. But there's enemies all around them. There's, there's little enemy nations which are preventing them. They stop them from rebuilding the temple. They're discouraged. They're hurt. God, how can we serve you when we can't even rebuild your temple? God, I thought that you were going to bless us when you got here, but it just seems to be just as hard. But slowly, as Zechariah and Haggai and these prophets, they start to encourage them to rebuild these temples, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city, right? But they never experienced the full blessing that God said. They they never got the land of peace. There were wars that continued to go on. There was all of these things. And so we asked the question, where is the blessing that was promised in the covenant relationship? Well, the problem is this. Even while they came back, they continued to break the covenant. Why? Because they were human. Because they were unable to follow God's commands. And so this is who Zechariah is preaching to. And we also should remember that there would be one who could come and fulfill the covenant. There would be one who could to do what was all right and live a perfect life. And we'll talk about him soon. But we want to jump into Zechariah 8. This is the people he was speaking to, these discouraged people who are covenant failures and from a covenant failure history, living in a, in a broken um, city, destroyed by enemies, waiting for the day of blessing. This is what Zechariah says in chapter 8. He says, in the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Zion is another word used for Jerusalem, and it also embodies the people. So when he says, I am jealous for Zion, he's saying, I am jealous for this place, and I am jealous for these people. That's what he's saying, the people of Israel, the people of Judah. He's saying, with great jealousy, I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion. 
and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city in the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Jerusalem was on a mountain. It was on the top. Zion is actually the name of the mountain. He's saying this mountain, this city will be a holy city, right? A, a city of covenant faithfulness, you could say. Thus is the Lord of hosts. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country, from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. There's that phrase again. I will be their God, and they will be my people, right? And, and what we see is this, that he's giving them the image. Just like voyagers have an image of why they're going and where they're going, here the people of Israel are being given an image, an image of peace, where there's going to be no more war, and people can grow to old age because they haven't been killed by, by enemies, where, where children are, are playing in the streets, Maybe they're playing kickball. I don't know if they invented that yet, but they're going to be playing games. I mean, this is an image of the end. I mean, is it not so beautiful that God's image for our, our future, his, his end goal is for children to be playing in the streets and for us to be living in peace? I mean, how amazing. It's not that, it's not that we'll be sitting on a mountain of money one day or that we'll have world domination you know, that we'll be ruling over people. No, the end goal of history is that all who trust in the Lord will live in a day of peace where children are playing, where, 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 where neighbors are sitting alongside of each other, watching the sunset. This is the end of history. This is the goal that God is bringing us towards, that he's bringing these people towards and let's continue, verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets, who are present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. He's encouraging them to rebuild the temple here. For before those days, there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, nor, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor, but now... I will not deal with the remnant of these people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give its produce and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. He's encouraging saying that one day you will be a blessing to the nations, right? Here's, a, here's an echo of, of the promise to Abraham. It's not over. You will be a blessing. You will be blessed. And it will be done in faithfulness and righteousness, right? So he's saying, let your hands be strong. Don't be fearful. Continue in God's work. Continue to follow the covenant, he's saying. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem, to the house of Judah. Fear not, right? He's saying, I, 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 I disciplined them for their covenant disobedience. 
but there's gonna be a day now where I'm gonna bless you and I'm not gonna hold back. I'm gonna give you all the promises that I made. And this is what he says, and it's tied to the covenant. We see it in verse 16. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. In love, no false oath for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. He's telling them, commit yourself to God's instructions. Do what is right. Make right judgments. Love one another. Tell the truth. Right? These basic tenets of living for God, of following his character, found right here. He's saying, I'm going to bless you. And in that day, this is what it's going to look like. You're going to obey the covenant. You're going to live it out. Verse 18, and the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth month and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be the house of the Lord, seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Here, we see this, that they, they had these different fasts where they would abstain from eating food and they did it to mourn because they were sad and heartbroken for the exile. But God is saying you won't fast in the future because there'll be nothing to mourn. Everything that you have will be restored to you. Everything that, that your heart desired in God will be, will be blessing to you and will be done because of him, right? And so he says, love, truth, and peace. Again, he's commanding them to follow the covenant, right? To be true to it. Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Here it is. Here God is that promise he made to Abraham that they would be a blessing to the whole world. It would include their blessing as well. Here's the promise that if you're not Jewish, here's the promise which now has included you as well. This, that People from every nation. I love verse 23. Here it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those, day, in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. In this chapter, what Zechariah is doing is he's providing an image contrary to what they're experiencing. They're experiencing suffering, hardship, pain, they're saying, where are the blessings of God that he promised? And he's saying, here they are. They're in the future. They're coming. So obey the covenant. Commit to it. He's punished us in the past, but in the future, there will be blessing. And what he's telling them, it's not even just for us, but it's going to be a blessing that, that, that goes to the entire world. It'll be a blessing where all the nations are invited if they come and they obey too, and they commit themselves to the covenant. I mean, I, I, I picture, I mean, imagine someone coming up to, to someone who has experienced this, the Jewish people who are, this promise was for, going up and saying, can I come with you? Why? Because I heard God is with you, right? Here's the, the covenant, the ultimate covenant blessing their heart was were desiring, they were in need of in verse eight, and I will be to them and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Why is he bringing them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem? Well, in verse 3, he says, this is God speaking, I have returned to Zion, Jerusalem, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. So now God, he is there, and he's saying, I'm bringing them here too. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, 
in faithfulness and in righteousness. That phrase, it was said to Abraham in Genesis 17. It was said to Moses in Exodus 6. It was said to, it was said to the people of Israel in Leviticus 26. It was, it was said to the, to the exiles in Jeremiah 31 and in Ezekiel 37. Here it is again, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness, and they shall be my people. And why is in faithfulness and righteousness only tagged along to the part where God is their God? Because the people have continually broken the covenant. And that's what's been preventing the blessing. But God is saying, I have always been faithful to this. I've always been faithful to my relationship with you. I've always been faithful to the responsibility that I've taken on. And so now, the people that Zechariah is speaking to, they believe, and it's true, the future blessing depends on their obedience. But they will continually break the covenant, and they will continue to break God's law. They will continue to, to follow their own heart's desires. But there had to come a person who could overcome this, who, who could actually make them fully his people and be and make and allow God to be fully their God. But it could not happen without covenant obedience. It could not happen until the obligations were met. And so that's why in the gospels, when we learn about the life of Jesus, when he continually obeyed the covenant, when he continually uh, uh, turned away from sin and even rebuked Satan when he continually loved every single person that came to him, when he continually taught the scriptures and lived them out, what he was doing was living the perfect life, fulfilling every obligation that God had given to the people of Israel who failed. And then when he died on that cross, what he was doing was becoming the substitute, the sacrifice for everybody who's trusted in God but has broken it and not been able. He said, I'm putting my life in your place. This was the only hope of Israel. This is our only hope. That the blessings that the Bible speak of, though they depended on our obedience and we were unable, Christ was obedient and did it in our place so that we could experience the blessings that we see even here in Zechariah 8 that people would live on, the, that they would be able to, to sit on their porches and, and be on the streets and experience maybe the sunset coming over and not the fear of war. And, and that these people would see their children playing in the streets. This was the hope. And that the nations would be invited to come as well and experience this blessing. And it's wrapped up in that phrase. I will... I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. After Jesus came and he, he lived the perfect life, he died in our place and he told the disciples to go and tell the world to become his disciples. Years and years go by and John, the apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, he he. He, gets, he receives a vision, similar, honestly, to Zechariah. He receives this vision of the end for this Roman church. He's writing to this Roman church in about 100 AD. And this Roman church had been experiencing persecution. 
And they too are wondering, where is the blessings of God? Why are we suffering? Just like these people in Israel in Zechariah's time were suffering. Why, why are our friends being killed for their faith? Why is God allowing this? Why are, why are people we love still dying of disease? And this is what John writes to them in, in chapter 21. This is an image of the end, right? He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, right? Think about Zechariah. He says, uh, it will be called the faithful city, the mountain of the Lord, the holy mountain. Right here it is. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse three, take this in. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Dear John, understanding the covenant history, that despite people's inability, our inability to obey the covenant, to fulfill all of God's instructions and see the blessings, Jesus did it in our place. And though we don't see these physical blessings all right now, we don't see a land of peace, and we don't see always a, 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 a people who, who care and love each other. We don't, we don't see the end of war and the end of tears and the end of death. We've experienced the forgiveness of God, which has allowed us to be in his presence and experience it. But we await the day. We await the day when we will see it with our own eyes. And we fully will be his people, and he fully will be our God with all of the blessings that come along with that, that the covenant will be fulfilled, that we will be with him. That's what we look forward to. That's our hope. And so we're living towards, we're living towards the future hope. We're living towards the promise fulfilled. And what do we do in the midst of it? How do we make sense of the world that we live in? within this covenant history? How do we look at that in here and say, how does this connect? Because I see, I see a war in Ukraine, and I see Russia, and I see, I see all of these nations, and I hear the threats of war, and I see all of these different things, and I wonder, God, how can there be peace? How can you be active in this world? What is happening? And I think back to that phrase, and I say, for these Ukrainian people, I hope, I hope they get to say the words, he will be my God and I will be his people. Because it's only then that they will find the hope that can bring them through as they watch children dying in the streets, bombs going off. And I even think one of the youth, one of the youth students on, on Friday night reminded me, as we were praying about this, that God would save the Russian people as well. Because we've all sinned and we've all made mistakes. We've all broken covenant. But maybe one day, two, then they can say, he is my God and I am his people. That, that the nations would come, that people would come when they trust in him, they surrender to the, the almighty, that they would say, 
God, I, I, I desire to be in relationship with you. Because it's only in this relationship that you have done all of the work and given me this, the blessing. Lord, let me experience your blessing because of your beautiful work. I think of college students and even in high schoolers and even everybody, but especially college and high schoolers, there's always this temptation. There's a temptation to peer pressure, to, to fall in to what everyone else is doing, to, to go party and drink and, 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 and try to forget all of the anxieties maybe that we have, the social anxieties, maybe the anxiety from school, to forget the responsibilities, just, even just for a moment. But I think, man, there's, there's a hope that Jesus has fulfilled the covenant and he's desiring for me to walk in it as well. And that there's a blessing which can't even compare to what the world offers. There's something that he has for me which will resemble children playing in the streets in nations of peace. There is an end in sight. There, there is a goal to the voyage that these high schoolers and these, these college students and anybody who this applies to, that we would seek him, that we wouldn't seek just a moment of pleasure, but we would seek the eternal pleasure, that we would seek the joy that comes from true relationship, relationship between us and God, and then also us and us with God that he, he empowers us through his spirit to actually love each other right, to, to, to live out the fruit of the spirit. They're called the fruit of the spirit because it's, it's God's presence, it's his spirit who enables us to do it. They're supernatural, that we would love each other and have peace and that we would have self-control, that, that we would have gentleness and faithfulness, that we would live this out. This is, that is the covenant. That is what God desired. That's what he has for us. I thought of it like, if we go back to the voyagers, we're all on a voyage in a sense. We're all living towards an end. And there's all of these different, maybe you want to say islands, these islands to which we're voyaging. And for some, it's, it's about maybe, it's a, maybe it's just about wealth, right? Material wealth. And we're voyaging towards this island. We might work... 60, 70, 80 hours a week to get to this island of wealth. But when you get to that island, you realize that it vanishes in your hands and it only lasts as long as you live. And then maybe for some, you're voyaging towards the perfect family where nothing goes wrong. And you're voyaging and you're voyaging and voyaging. And maybe one day you get there, but without God, when you get there, that voyage ends with life when it ends. Or maybe you're voyaging just towards maybe success or you're voyaging towards the perfect relationships or whatever it might be. Set it up and that's your island and you're going there. When the time comes, when your life ends, it vanishes. But with God, with this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell with you. If that is the island that we're voyaging towards, it doesn't end when we die. It actually gets better. It actually grows. We, we experience the full blessings that he promised. And the worship team can come up. And on Mother's Day, my family um, was in town. 
And uh, it was so cool. My mom, my dad, they live in Florida. My brother lives in Lowell, my sister in Beverly. And uh, maybe only like two or three times we've actually all been together in the last two or three years, especially with COVID as well. And I remember on Mother's Day, we, were, we went up to New Hampshire and we, we, uh, we did this. My mom is Swiss, and so we do this Swiss traditional meal called rucklet. And with rucklet, what you do is you, um, it's like a special oven on the table, and you melt cheese, and then you grill things on top of it, and then you pour the cheese over it, and it's delicious. And we were, we were doing this, right? And I'm thinking back, and I'm like, here I was just sitting with my family, and we would do it every Christmas Eve for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. And it was like we were just right back there teasing each other, laughing, right, having a great time, and it was like everything melted away, right, in the whole world. We were there, and, and Rach was there, and, and Laura's boyfriend was there as well, and we were just together. And I was like, this is what it's all about. I don't want anything more than what I have right here, right now, right? Oh, thank you, thank you, right? And, and this is what Jesus is giving for us as well, that one day, just as I, we are with our families in that perfect relationship sometimes, we have those moments where it's like, this is what it's all about. God, from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, what he has been trying to do is bring us to his table, bring us to that moment, that dinner, bring us to that time where he's just with us in perfect relationship. Everything wrong has been forgiven, and he's empowered us to do what's right, and he's bringing us to this end, this end of history that will come where we'll sit at his table and just be together, me and you, and me, you, and him. And we will dwell with him, not just for a moment or one night out of the year, but we'll dwell with him forever. And we will fully be his people, and he will be our God. We will be with him. And so today, I just hope that you can take this with you, that when you're struggling and you're hurting, or maybe when even everything is great, that you'll just remember, I'm going towards this end. I'm going to just be with him and with his people and he's empowering me to live it out now, but I will experience it fully then, the blessings that he's giving. He has a plan for you, and that plan is here. He's bringing you to him. We're going to him. He's with us now, but we'll see a nation, many nations, one day. After all this is gone, when he comes back, we'll experience a time of peace forever. We'll see a time of prosperity. But most importantly, we'll see him forever. We'll be with him. So repeat this phrase to yourself throughout the day, throughout the week, to remind yourself what it's all about. When God says this, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Let me pray. Father, we look to you, Lord. We serve you, Jesus. Lord, but we're, we're not good enough to meet every standard that you've given. We can't do it, Lord. We can't meet all of the covenant demands. We've broken it, Lord, just as the Israelites broke it, Father. But Lord, you died on a cross to forgive us so that we could experience you and the blessing with it, God. So I pray right now, those who might be hurting and worried, that God, you would just minister to their specific situation, that you would bless families and marriages, 
that, Lord, you'd bless children, Lord, that, Lord, you would bless the nations, Lord, that you would help us come to you and tell others of you. That, God, we wouldn't just say it of ourselves, but we would we would want it for others that they would be yours and you would be theirs. That we would see our friends and family and pray that over them. See people on the street and we would pray it over them. We would see people in the mall and we'd pray it over them. That our life is working towards this end. We love you, Jesus. We look to you. Bless us today. In your wonderful name. Amen. Amen.